0: Presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to
1: Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of Common Sense Institute. Thank you for joining us. We're in the midst of one of the most severe economic downturns in our history, with an incredible amount of uncertainty about what the future holds. However, There are two things I feel I can say with near certainty. Our state and our country will get to the other side of this, but unfortunately, the pressing public issues of our time are not going to go away. So currently, they haven't taken a back seat uh, to other priorities. In fact, they may have worsened in light of the recession. One of those concerns is the focus on today's conversation, the future of Colorado's transportation infrastructure. I'm very very excited to welcome to 2020 Common Sense Institute Terry J. Stevenson Fellows to discuss their recently released report titled A Path Forward, a Common Sense Strategy for the Continued Viability of Colorado's Transportation Network. Terry Stevenson is a founding and current board member at CSI. He conceived of this fellowship as an opportunity to bring together two individuals to research a key public policy issue facing the state of Colorado and present, along with it, realistic, achievable solutions. This year, the fellowship research topic selected was transportation infrastructure. Welcome this year's fellows, Ben Stein, Henry Sauvonet, who have exemplified the spirit of the fellowship and have the expertise and commitment required to tackle this very challenging topic. Before we dive into the findings of this report, I think it is important for listeners to learn a little bit more about both of you uh, and just how you see the relevance of this particular report and your conclusions. Ben, uh, let's start with your background.
0: So I'll start really quickly with um, the background part of it. Um, I'm retired from the state of Colorado. I worked for the state for just under 16 years. About half of that was in the Colorado Department of the Treasury. One of the most important functions that the state treasury does is manage the highway user's tax fund. It doesn't collect the tax, but it receives all the funds from it and then distributes them to all the different beneficiaries of the fund. So I became very involved with transportation finance while I was still in the state treasury. When an opportunity came up after... Uh, about eight years then to um, move to CDOT, the Colorado Department of Transportation, I took that opportunity and went over there and became the budget director for CDOT. Um, I was the budget director for four years. Then I became the chief financial officer and member of the executive management team there. And my last year at CDOT, before I retired, I was the director of major project development. In, those, in that role and in the CFO role in particular, I was very involved with transportation finance. Did a lot of creative things, um, public-private partnerships, borrowing money, leveraging things. But in all cases, the one thing that was most clear to me, we can do all kinds of financial magic. It doesn't create money. It just changes the timing on it. And so when you have to make a budget and balance a budget for a department like CDOT, you become acutely aware of the needs and the demands of, to maintain the system, and at the same time, the limitations caused by, rev, by revenues. So that became um, a major topic of my life, while I, of my working life. Um, and that, of course, leads quite directly to this report, as well as when I first started at CDOT, I was deeply, deeply involved, and so was Henry, with Governor Ritter's um, Transportation Finance Implementation uh, Panel, which delved deeply into all the different tax revenues and revenue sources, uh, potentially, and the different causes, and really started me thinking about transportation and the needs of the system in a global way. It was a great start to my career at CDOT. And from that, I'll turn it over to Henry. Thank you. Good morning. What a pleasure to be on
2: the podcast and to have done this project. We're very grateful for it. Uh, my name is Henry Sobenet. Um I have a long career in state government, but also a little bit of time in the private sector. I was an economist for the Legislative Council at the start of my professional career. Uh, I then spent almost eight years in the budget office with uh, Governor Bill Owens. And for about two and a half years, I was the budget director. I then had a private consulting company. Uh, and Governor Hickenlooper uh, asked me to return to state service at the beginning of his administration. I was the director of Office of State Planning and Budgeting, again, for almost his two terms. Um, I was a board member on the Colorado Transportation Commission uh, for four years for a full term. And I've uh, just had a passion about transportation infrastructure for most of my career. Um, And right now I'm the chief financial officer for Colorado State University System.
1: Well, clearly we're very fortunate to have people such as yourselves dedicate yourself to the study. Your background and expertise certainly does lend to the. Report and actually taking us very seriously as to what the outcomes you suggest that we should consider. Henry, let's start with you if we could. Your report refers to the status quo and trans- transportation funding. What do you mean by that? And further, what does the future look like without any new policy intervention?
2: Thank you, Earl. Well, the status quo means a, a couple of items. We're in the middle of four big phases of transportation infrastructure infusion from the state, 500 million a year for four years. Um, And under current law, that would continue all the way to the end of fiscal year 23. But the background of the status quo is more what we allude to, which is that the antiquated financing of transportation is is setting us up for a slow motion crisis, as we kind of point out in the paper. We don't have financing that will keep up with the demands of our system, either from growth or from the move away from gasoline-powered cars or even the improving performance of gasoline-powered cars, the financing system isn't keeping up with costs or growth to build up the system that we need for the future or to even maintain what we have in a cost-effective way.
1: So in effect, you're saying that we don't have a system of revenue, I guess gathering of revenues to support the transportation system, particularly in light of how this transitioning at the present time to higher efficiency and electric cars and clearly not with the population growth that we've had that you suggested has really outstripped uh, the collection of revenues that we would have hoped we'd have to support the current maintenance of our roads. Is that a fair statement?
2: That's a fair statement. And maybe putting a a very everyday point on it is a big portion of how we pay for surface transportation is the motor fuels tax. And it's been 22 cents a gallon for unleaded uh, gasoline since 1991. If you just take CPI, for 22 cents a gallon to now, uh, it would more than double. And so you have aging system, you have growth in population, and you have higher than inflation input costs. A cents per gallon model w- without adjustment is just going to consistently fall behind.
1: Okay, so we have an ineffective model or method to finance our transportation system in the state. Ben, I want to ask you a question. I find it remarkable that you did this study. You did it before COVID. You started it before COVID nineteen. Uh, it was, you know, nearly complete before COVID nineteen, and it's frankly very, you know, it's a heck of a testament to both of you that uh, you had to spend extra time to address COVID nineteen. And how does the current recession impact the original work you did? And you also. Proposed, which I thought was rather interesting, and actually I had a lot of common sense. A three-phase solution in your research paper. Can you give us a, a little bit of insight into how you had to do some adjustments for COVID-19, and also the the three-phase solution you're recommending?
0: Sure, be happy to do that. Yes, um, you, you were correct. We had completed our first draft before the COVID started, and we're pretty comfortable that we were moving along a, a path to um, completion. And then COVID hit, and it was such a shock that we knew we needed to stop and take a look. I mean, if you think about it, when you saw the pictures of an empty Times Square or of Denver International Airport with empty concourses, the buses empty and RTD barely running, you knew you had to make a stop and and rethink things. So it was not a hard decision for us to stop and say, okay, we're going to have to try to factor in this dramatic short-term, possibly short-term change. The biggest question we had to deal with was, And we still don't know the answer to that. And that's why it's now a three-phase solution, is are there permanent or lasting effects from COVID and the changes we've seen that will impact things? Because it is imperative, if you're going to propose something like this, that we convince the average Coloradan that whatever solutions we're going to propose are thoughtful and lasting. And if there are true changes to commuting patterns, we have to take those into effect If there are significant permanent changes to freight delivery patterns, we have to take that into effect. And the other critical part of it is it became very clear almost instantly that (laughs) transportation revenues such as they are and as inadequate as Henry has described them as being are now coming in at far lesser numbers because motor fuel receipts have gone down dramatically. And, of course, the fees that come from vehicles can be altered as well. So there's a huge potential impact on travel demand, on the one side, and potentially another very significant impact on transportation revenues. And the reason f- we now have a phase one is, as we go forward, we have to do a reevaluation of what are the impacts of this, and what are the impacts of it going to be on long-term revenue gathering from our current, albeit inadequate, transportation revenue gathering system. So in the immediate phase, where we aren't going to be able to change the transportation finance system in the short term, we have to think very carefully about what the impacts, the lasting impacts on both the revenue and the expense side of COVID-19 in this recession are before we can go forward. So that's why there's now the phase we're calling stabilization, where we have to reevaluate everything. Um, the second phase and which we're calling rehabilitation is focused on a very simple outcome. There's always the saying, you see the TV commercials, pay me now or pay me later. And it's invariably if you do your preventative maintenance, less expensive. Than if you wait. And that's no different for the surface transportation system than it is for a car or your house. When you let the roof leak for too long, you have to have a lot more damage than you do otherwise. So the key is we have to find a way to properly fund the maintenance of our existing system and keep that infrastructure intact.
1: Henry, I'm going to put you on the spot here for a second. It seems to me that you've got recent information I've read that you've got 50% Uh, 50% of the office staff people have been working at home where they haven't in the past. And it seems like it's continuing to happen. And I know that you you don't have a a perfect crystal ball of the future, but let's take two scenarios here. How do you see things being impacted if uh, that trend continues? And uh, how do you see, and I'm going to Take another twist on that. That maybe being an opportunity for us to maybe do something that would build for the future in light of uh, people being off the roads right now, or could that be an ad- advantage? Help me
2: out. I think it's a great question, and we do a little bit of discussion about that in the section that you alluded to, which is the you know take stock of 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 this current moment to understand the new baselines of demand and revenue and all those interplays. Your point about remote work changing things permanently is on a lot of people's minds, including mine, as someone who's been working in forecasting. So you're trying to balance how successful many people have been through remote work, being able to produce similar quality work, without the overhead of commuting or working more flexibly for family or other home situations. But we should be careful about recency bias as well. It's what we know the most right now, and it seems like it could go on forever. I will say one thing about remote work is that the quality of the interactions that I've experienced have really been bolstered by prior relationships with people. This project's a good example. Ben and I have known each other for couple of decades now Earl you've you've been um, an acquaintance of mine for many years we've interacted probably a dozen times in the last five years same with Chris Brown Kristen Strom more so those prior relationships help make this project for example more productive as new employees start coming and new relationships start being formed perhaps remote work won't be as successful but we should account for the possibility of more remote work, uh, being permanent. Also the convenience of getting more things delivered could be more permanent and that'll have an impact on, uh, retail establishments and, and, and the driving needed for that. So it, it changes from a bunch of day trips to the store to what's the small delivery drop off system? What's the big freight system? All of those changes need to to come into account. We're having this happen simultaneously with internal combustion engines making their preliminary exit from the scene. So all of it is shaping up to set up a formalized, more intentional look at the whole transportation inputs and supports.
1: It seems to me that maybe we have a respite with regards to the crowding interstate highway system and the streets, but if the population keeps growing Henry and Ben, I just cannot imagine that we're not going to be back to the same traffic problems we've had uh, up pre-COVID nineteen. So maybe mm-hmm. this respite is something that we can appreciate for a while. But I don't think it's going to last, in my opinion. We, We've still we, got an issue here. It's gotta be handled. Henry, you want to say something?
2: Yeah, I've been cutting you off there. I'm sorry, sir. Um we we generally agree and we we discussed that in the paper. Former CDOT director Shailen Bott, you know, had a great line, you know, a highway system designed in the fifties and sixties and seventies, built for the population of the eighties and nineties. That's kind of a paraphrase, with, you know, several hundred thousand more people expected in the next decade in an already congested and aging. System we do have a respite, but we're so far behind on just core maintenance that the respite doesn't take away the backlog
1: I want to just step aside for a second because we've got a lot more to talk about henry and and Ben but you know the person who's really was instrumental in helping get the fellowship and also this study was Terry Stevenson and terry you've uh, you've been in the automobile industry and transportation industry uh, all your life and uh, can you give us a little bit of a sense as to What you were hoping with the fellowship that could be achieved, and how you see our study that uh, we're just now beginning to get into uh, impacting Colorado. I
3: don't know if I had really any specific thought or idea of how this was going to uh, go forward. I just liked the concept of having, you know, this idea of taking a major issue and having two people from different perspectives study it, look at it, people that respect each other. We looked at something from really a different, and Henry and Ben have done that really well. Taking something like transportation and looking at it, saying, what is, what are the issues here? What's is the long-term, short-term? How do we fix the problem? We keep talking about fixing our roads over and over every year, but nothing seems to be getting done. that's why I picked this as the major topic to begin with. And I think we all know that we have to do something to fix the backlog of this, you know, and that. Uh, as i said before, sometimes it's, I'm more concerned about the pothole in front of my house than the one down the street. And I think that's what most people fix my road. Don't worry about the other road sometimes, but I think this is more sort of a global way of looking at Colorado and say, what is the best for Colorado? And that was my hope in this thing. So I'm really proud of what, how this has come about.
1: Well, you know, Terry, that's a great lead into the issue. Uh, Henry, I'm going to ask you and then get back to Ben in a second is that the second phase of your proposal would be to fund the likely gap that Terry has just referred to uh, in what is needed to just maintain our current infrastructure. That includes your pothole, Terry. This number will change based on phase one assessment that we just talked about as to you know, where are we, what do we need, and what's the conditions for what we need, and how does COVID-19 impact it. But um, however you found that prior to the start of the pandemic, CDOT, I didn't realize this, and I'm astonished, was already facing an annual shortfall of three hundred million dollars. Henry, how in the world did we get ourselves in that position?
2: The shortfall, the backlog has been building for many years. Basically, by leaving per gallon gasoline taxes alone, there's been infusions along the way that have that have mitigated some of this. There's been higher registration fees about ten years ago with a bill called Faster. The general fund has been sporadic, but for the last twenty years, probably around two billion dollars. Maybe a little more has been sent to transportation. There's been some bond financing through the trans vote in, uh, in 1999. The big project there was T-Rex in Metro Denver, but we, we got in the situation by a fast growing state and a transportation financing system that, that just doesn't keep up with the true costs of keeping, keeping it up. There's more money in the system than over the years, but not the same purchasing power. I think one last point is, We looked um, nationwide and we found a survey that looked just for the last 10 years. 31 states have made a gas tax reform or a sales tax reform for their transportation system around the country. Um, Colorado wasn't counted in that list, of course. It took a long time to get here and um, we've proposed five ways that you could look at augmenting revenue for in addition to just the gas tax, but five with when you include the gas tax and, um, we didn't want to pick one because there's pros and cons to each one. Uh, there are um, proponents uh, for each one and detractors for all of them, I would say. <laughs> and so what we wanted to do is just create an order of magnitude for what it would take to just shore up the maintenance gap. And um, you're right. Uh, how did that number get that big? And it's been in that ballpark for many years. Ben should chime in uh, when they did the blue ribbon panel in 2009. I think the maintenance deficit was around 500 million, a little bit less maybe. Uh, and then the faster registration fees came in and shored that up. But that's been 10 years of inflation and cost growth and people growth.
1: Uh, before I get Ben engaged here, I have had a chance to look at the study and look at what you propose. Uh, and I don't mean to be speaking for everybody, but you no, know, you're not talking about sales tax increases that are Outrageous! You're not talking about one or two or three cents. You're talking about fractions of a penny that would be needed that could sustain uh, what we're talking about on a local as well as a community, you know, the local community and statewide basis. And I don't know how you plan to get that out to all the folks uh, that that should be looking at this. But it seems like you've got some reasonable solutions as far as if you decide to do something to separately pay for the transportation issue we have here in the state and I hope that we have a chance to get that out amongst out amongst people but that's not the whole issue here ben I want to I want to make certain i uh, we also look at what needs to be done for what you refer to as the third and final phase projects that uh, need to meet the increased capacity that's happening uh, we need better accommodation uh, to for our growth um, we've got increase funding temporarily for CDOT. Uh, we need you know, new capacity projects that need to be done. And, and we also, current with the current program, we only have three years until that funding runs out. So uh, give us a little bit of an insight. What happens if we don't take any action, Ben? I mean, I don't want you to be there and give us a doomsday scenario, but what is reality?
0: Two things I need to point out. The first is what we've talked about at this point is, the surface transportation system for moving cars and trucks and freight. Um, Obviously, there's a mass transit system in the state as well, mainly in the Front Range and particularly in the Denver metro area. And there would should be some discussion, at least, of passenger rail um, as well. And those are discussed in the full study. But in the amount of time we have, I think we need to focus primarily on the the highway systems um, just because of the magnitude and the fact that those by such a, large and predominant measure are, are the dominant conveyors of people and goods in the state. But I want to point out that the paper does address those other alternatives and we are not ignoring them. But the short answer to your question is the old statement about the frog and the, and the hot water. As you know, if you put a frog into warm, into warm water and gradually the frog stays in and ultimately doesn't get out. Whereas you pour him into hot water, he jumps out.
1: You think the same with lobster, doesn't it?
0: Well, (laughs) I don't know. I can't afford a lobster. The frog legs for me. The gradual deterioration of our system is such that we're in, 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 that there's some analogy here where it just gradually gets worse and worse and people just go, oh, well, that is a little bit bigger than it was yesterday. Oh, it's another two minutes in traffic. Oh, it's another three day, you know, Amazon can't get to my house that quickly now. It all adds up slowly over time. And so it's, it's a gradual process. We're going to have to have a, probably a gradual process to get out of it as well. CDOT has identified a, a list that Frankly, and this is sort of like the frog in the hot water, talks about $9 billion of capacity improvements needed statewide. The cost of doing that and trying to address it all at once is just enough. Frankly, people are just like, that's overwhelming. So the thought is, and what we did was, we recommended, CDOT has prioritized that list. And the $500 million per year of capacity expansion money from the, the uh, from the certificates of participation is ongoing now. The time we have until that program ends is an ideal time to look at the existing $9 billion list. CDOT has, to some degree, prioritized it, and what we've proposed is taking approximately $3 billion of that list, about a quarter, you know, about a third of it, and focusing on that to get fixed by 2030. Those are taking the most important projects. Again, a critical part of that is how are our revenues coming along, coming out of the recession. Because that won't start for a couple years, that will give us time to Id- – to confirm that those are the right projects to do first. We're keeping it within reason. You
1: know, when I understand reason, reason is the eye of the beholder. So let's investigate that for a second. Sure. So I'm in Lyman, and I've got lousy roads. I've got trucks are tearing up things, and I'm in Weld County. You know, trucks are tearing up my roads, uh, my highways, and, you know, I'm and I'm also in Lyman. i got bridges that are falling down, and, uh, you know, you're a big city boy. You're in the front range. How do I make certain that I'm going to have uh, my community taken care of as well as the heavy traffic of the Front Range and also the trucks that are tearing up my roads out in the plains and, and the various counties we have in Western Colorado as well
0: as Eastern? That happens to be a real challenge. Um, Henry, confirm this, but what is 85% of the population live in the Front Range area? Yeah, I think it depends. Just uh, Fort Collins to Colorado Springs, 80 to 85%. So inevitably, the bulk of the effort is going to be where the bulk of the people are. However, we have to also consider the major freight routes in particular that are in rural areas, because if we don't keep those freight routes open or the recreation routes open, it has a huge impact on quality of life. Rural Colorado, there's a huge imbalance between uh, the number of miles of road that are out there and the number of people that are out there. Now, remember, we have to worry about freight patterns as well. And I've reiterated that throughout. So those freight patterns... Um, where the critical freight is have to be dealt with because those roads cannot fail us. We have to get food in from the rural areas. We have to get the freight across those areas. So it, it is a dilemma. And, and we do have a section in the paper, in the larger paper, um, to address the problem. If we, for lack of a better term, balkanize the system and, uh, expect rural areas to support the roads that are used to move goods and services to and from the urban areas.
1: Well, Henry, you, we, we talked very briefly about the idea of raising revenues from different sources and. You in the in the paper, uh, astounding to me. And you might just tell us what it is. The the wear and tear on our highway system by large trucks uh, is what relative to cars. And tell me uh, how it is that they uh, compensate us for the wear and tear relative to what the cars pay.
0: Uh, I, I I can yeah. probably address that real quickly. The answer is not a particularly good one. The to compensate. Well, first off, a, a single eighty thousand pound load, fully loaded tractor-trailer rig going across a road is the equivalent damage to 9,600 passenger cars going over the same piece of road. Say that again. One truck, one pass, fully loaded, causes as much wear and tear on the highway system as 9,600 cars passing over the same spot.
1: Oh, did they compensate us for using our roads? Or are you going to tell me something differently?
0: Big rigs do pay motor fuel taxes. Keep in mind that they use diesel fuel, not gasoline. At the federal level, the diesel motor fuel tax is $0.04 per gallon more than the gasoline tax. At the state level, our gasoline tax is $0.04 more than our diesel fuel tax. Um, In the paper, I do cite a statistic that heavy vehicles are not paying in any logical way for the extent to which they create wear and tear on the highway system. This has been a very controversial issue for many, many years, and the freight industry's argument is we are providing a vital service and – Increasing our taxes increases the cost of delivery of goods to people and to stores, and therefore you cannot tax us any more than that. It's been a longstanding simmering issue both at the federal and at the state level.
1: Henry, it seems to me I always try to throw the you know, hard questions back at you, and I'm going to try, try to be oh, a please little please keep sending
0: those hard questions to Henry. I'm
1: ready. <laughs> try to be a little bit nicer this time In the paper, you give four examples for funding sources for new revenues for phase two and three. So situation again, raising, you're raising taxes, uh, to create a new revenue stream outside of the state's general fund. Give us a little more example on your four options a little bit, for, give a little bit more insight on them, would
2: you please? So taking the gas tax issue, the four alternatives would be a statewide sales tax increase, a statewide income tax increase, uh, raising registration fees, or maybe doing something around vehicle miles traveled to try to capture uh, a user a pure user pay model different than the gas tax. What we've done is we've we've calculated how much would you have to more to pay under those types of payments to generate either the 300 million for statewide gap or the bonding plan for the capacity plan or if you wanted to raise enough money to share with counties and cities the way we do with lots of transportation money now. We we felt just playing it as much down the The middle of the conversation with revenue options was was the best thing to do there's other ways of looking at this, and we discussed them in an appendix such as tolling we We give a little overview of the experiments around vehicle miles traveled or road uses charges there's been even conversations around what if we taxed uh tires, for example uh as a way of of paying for transportation really it It gets down to. Ease of collection, fairness of taxation, some connection to um, use of the highways and roads, and some spreading of the burden across the economy as fairly as possible. There's no perfect fix. I have a preference. It won't be yours. But I feel like the point of the paper wasn't to pick the solution as much as to show the relative magnitude. And for a little bit more per month, and I don't say that lightly, given the the hard economic times people are going through. Uh, for about ten or fifteen years, we could have a much different transportation system in our state.
1: Well, we've we've had um, various proposals, referendums, uh, and as you know, they haven't been successful. And there's been a general sense that, uh, wait a minute, uh, really happy as Terry's referred to passing tax, uh, increased taxes in my community because I can go down and see the city. You know, council or or the county commissioner, and and I can hold him accountable or her accountable. Uh, but uh, for some reason, uh, I go down to Denver, and uh, once the money gets down there, I have a difficult time holding people accountable for what they're going to do. You know, Henry, I just I have to follow up with what you're saying. By the way, I I encourage everybody to look at the. Uh, the uh, table that you put together as to what it would be in taxation is relatively minor additions uh, to sales tax and, and income tax. But it always seems to be the same issue. You know, can we trust that the money will in fact be used for what it's uh, what the tax is there for? How do you assure or can you or how would you assure me and all the rest of the citizens of the that if we do this, that the dollars will actually be used for transportation and not somehow be fungible and end up doing something else (coughs) that it wasn't intended for?
2: Yeah, that's an excellent question, and I'm happy to address it and even come back on the show if, if it ever comes up again. I think we recommend two things. One is even though faster was a pretty unpopular Uh, subject politically to raise registration fees. There's a good track record of accomplishment with the bridge enterprise money and the faster registration fees. And I think CDOT should, should probably put a little more information out about what has all been accomplished with that money. You can see that over, it took about six or seven years to get the first 130 bridges done with the bridge money about five years in they had done about 270 projects with the with the safety money the other registration fee you can now see the general fund on the 267 infusions 500 million a year that project list is out there and that should get promoted there are ways to try to button up this money i'll just make a quick comment if i can Or on the gas tax I know the gas tax has fallen out of favor because it doesn't keep up with fuel efficiency, but in Colorado, it has a explicit protection in the state constitution to be only used for construction, maintenance, and supervision of highways. And so if we found a way to index our gas tax to pay for what we need, it would automatically carry with it that constitutional protection of the money. And so we've never swept, as a state, gas taxes into the general fund. Same with the faster fees. They've stayed in transportation. And so I think there are ways to shore this up and prove up the accomplishments to date. I think that any issue like this taking to the voters is going to be a close call. It's always tough sledding. But I think there are meaningful proof points and meaningful measures to to ensure accountability.
1: Ben, you've you've had uh, hands-on experience in using dollars to improve the transportation system for us. And one of the issues that's in the appendix of your report are tolls. And uh, do I remember correctly that you were involved in the uh, toll road between uh, Boston and uh, Boston, between Denver and Boulder? Uh, yes, um, I was. Uh, can you share with us uh, how that worked out, and has that been a financially successful project?
0: Well, that project's a little bit uh, unusual in that it, it was, ended up being a, uh, a concession to uh, Plenary Roads, which is the name of a private company. CDOT built the first half of the road. And then Plenary built the second half of the road, and it was all turned over for for its operations and maintenance to Plenary. Um, Plenary, of course, only charges a toll in the tolled express lane. There are pluses and minuses, as you know, to uh, using a tolled express lane as opposed to all-lane tolling. Um, All-lane tolling, obviously, you can have a much, much lower per mile toll rate. When you only toll the one lane... Uh, you manage the lanes differently. I realized that we recently had a recent um, bit of a pothole problem on US 36, which is still a bit of, which is in the midst of some interesting uh, legal issues. That particular road is so busy and was so bad that this is, I, I would argue that that was a success. There are many people who would say that having a lane that other people can pay for the privilege of getting to work on time is unreasonable. We had a, a real problem and a limited set of solutions available to us, and this has largely solve that problem. However, tolled express lanes um, are a solution that can only be used in very specific circumstances with specific sort of traffic patterns. It's not a universal solution. All lane tolling has some limitations as well. It really has to apply on relatively high volume roads. You're not going to take a farm to market road out in Weld County and turn that into a a toll road successfully. So tolling (laughs) has a place, but 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 it's not a panacea.
1: So you both of you are suggesting there's a multiplicity of possible solutions that we would take into account with regards. There's just not one uh, one solution fits everything, is what I hear you all suggesting.
2: I agree. I don't think one solution is going to work because part of the timeout recommendation is to make sure we're dealing with autonomous cars, uh, electric cars, and getting equitable and fair tax and registration policies for all all types of vehicles. Uh, working backwards from a target number of of where we want to end up.
1: Well, I think I just want to say that uh, the report is detailed. Uh, it's interesting reading. You've done a wonderful job of putting history into the report, so that we all have a foundation to understand where you're coming from in the state of Colorado. And you've done a wonderful job of also, in my opinion, lining up the the uh, what the future looks like from a practical sense. I might add. Uh, and then how, from a practical sense, do we then say, clearly, here's what we have to come up with with regards to dollars. And here are very reasonable solutions to that. We touched on just a few of the details in this report. And for those of the, you that were listening, we thank you for listening today. And we would encourage you to go to the Common Sense Institute website, which is www.commonsenseinstitutecode.org, to read the full report and get engaged. Uh, get engaged at the state level, get engaged with your, your representative of the Senate, Congress, uh, Senate, and the legislature, uh, rep, the representatives. Um, if this is an important issue for our state, and, hey, this is what democracy is all about. Uh, let's get engaged and make certain if we can find a solution that we can participate in. Ben, uh, Henry, any uh, final comments you'd like to make?
0: I'll, I'll try to make three very short comments. The first is raising taxes in any sense is never a very popular thing to do. Everybody, uh, you see, at the federal level, we're not raising taxes. In fact, we're cutting taxes in a time of ever-rising deficits. The federal government has, the few, fortunately for its sake, I guess, has printing presses and can, de- can do that. The state doesn't have that luxury. Our leaders are going to have to make some hard choices and, and accept the fact that if we want something, we're going to have to pay for it and articulate that clearly to the people. The second is that the public, which you noted has not, done terribly well at passing taxes, needs to have communicated to it, look, it's not free. Everybody can complain about it, but if you want to do something about it, you're going to have to pay for it. At the same time, CDOT and all the others have to be accountable. And the third point is one we haven't talked too much about, but it's that change is coming to our transportation systems. Not today, not tomorrow, but in in that 10 to 20 year range, our transportation system is going to have a complete transformation, something akin perhaps to the change from Horses and steam trans and, and steam powered locomotives to cars and trucks using internal combustion engines, and we need to be very thoughtful as we go forward that as we implement not the maintenance fees to keep our current system going but the new improvements to the system that we think about how those can be compatible with the with the transportation system that we're going to see coming forward.
1: Henry any closing comments
2: I would agree with everything Ben said. I would just say uh, i don't feel like Tackling this issue is beyond the skill set of the political and civic leaders in, in Colorado. We have a little higher standard of, of having to get things done here in our state, having to have elections. I think the point is to keep trying. And we were very honored to be able to work on this and, and maybe contribute to that conversation.
1: Okay. I think both of you. Terry, you were nice enough to be the sponsor of this fellowship. And would you like to have any closing comments for us?
3: Oh, yeah, Earl, thank you. Uh, one of the things I thought about when this fellowship as well as is looking at issues like this is that I felt that one of the reasons why we've never really been able to actually have a solution, the solution that would fix all this is there is no one perfect solution. The idea of bringing these two fellows together to look at this thing and, and create what are some of the best solutions out there? We've talked about all these things over the years. Now we have four or five different ideas that we can look at and say, okay, these are four Five ideas that we can actually put together. In their own right, they're not that expensive on that. But they may be collectively the best way to tackle this specific issue. And we need to tackle it.
1: Terry, thank you for the fellowship. Ben, Henry, thank you so much for the hard work and the thoughtfulness that you put into this particular study. That's going to benefit the entirety of our state. And as one of those people, personally, I
2: thank you, too. Well, thank you. You're welcome. What a What a nice comment. Thank you.
0: And thank you. This was a tremendous opportunity. Hopefully this will be of service to the Institute and to the state of Colorado.
1: It will be. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the common sense digest for more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode along with all others is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.